Jesus is here on the side of a little mountain, and he's teaching, and his audience are people who are so feeling alive at the moment. They have heard his message on the kingdom of God is at hand. Many of them have traveled from far off to be healed of major things going on in their lives, of blindness, paralysis, chronic pain. And they came for physical healing, many of them, but then they've stayed. They've stayed to listen to the one that they are so thankful for, who has brought this, this new sense of life to them by healing their bodies. And then Jesus, as he has healed them and is having compassion on them, his compassion is recognizing their healed bodies, but the sin that is, that is there. And so he brings a message of understanding to help them understand. You see, the people have grown up with an understanding of of being justified and, and salvation from God is part of the covenant that God created with Moses. And as the people became a part of this covenant that was created, God said, I will be your God and, and you can be my people and I will be with you. And these are the terms of the agreement. And he gives this, the law, the Torah, the law to the people with all these things for them to do. And they enter in covenant together. We've got this. We can do it. We thank you, God. You led us out of Egypt. And now we're yours. We agree to the terms of your covenant, which include the, the Ten Commandments plus 600 other laws. And immediately, they broke it. They failed. And time and time again after that, God proved that he was faithful, but the people continued to fail the terms of the agreement. That their own sin was something that they could not let go of. And even though they made a way of, of the sacrificial system, that even as they would offer their, these sacrifices... Their sin kept coming back. They kept finding themselves in a situation where they knew that there was sin and they wanted something more that they couldn't let go. Then in Jeremiah 31, that God recognized this was a problem. And so in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah prophesies, the days are coming, and I'm skipping ahead on the scripture readings. So Jeremiah 31, 31 says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts 
and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So even at this time, God recognizes something new is needed, that the people in their failure need a new way to connect, a new way to follow. So his, Jesus has those in his love he understands that they're broken he's healed their bodies but he recognizes inside they're still broken and he wants them to know they have sin that needs redeemed you do have sin I've healed you in certain ways but as he begins teaching he not only enlightens them that they're breaking the law because of their sin but he's telling them that my way within the new covenant that is within me it deals with the heart and not just with our outward actions that we do not with just the words that we say but the heart and so Jesus for them teaches that I do not just want behavior modification but I want a transformed heart and allow me to come in and do that and he begins by connecting what they grew up with and he, he's here he's even reminding them that you may think you've kept some of the big ones but even those you have broken and he goes in Matthew what's recorded in Matthew 5 17 as he hits one of the, the big commandments. He says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the smallest least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of these, least command, these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. As they're hearing this, I can imagine only that they're kind of in shock. You see, as they have over the, the centuries recognized their own inability to follow what God has been teaching them to do, that their religious leadership, the Pharisees and other teachers of the law, have been trying to help them by clarifying the law, maybe in attempts that people can follow it better. And I've talked about in the past about the rules for working on the Sabbath and what they look like, and they made things very specific are hearing that the going to have to do better than them and I'm I'm sure they're they're and then Jesus continues on as he refers to the commandments to point out that how they were still missing the mark because he's teaching about the heart and the mind more than the outward actions and he goes on here in verse 21 to talk about murder and I'm sure the people at first are thinking well, I've, I've got this one I'm not a murderer so I'm good he says you have heard it said to the people long ago you shall not murder 
do that anyone who is angry with a brother again anyone who's raka which we don't hear that term very often today but it's a minor slander you might compare it to airhead or something like that is answerable to the court and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fires of hell and as i hear this i'm thinking i've been angry and i've said things i shouldn't have said and i've said derogatory things when i wasn't in my best being my best self and i recognize as i read this that randy according to these words is a murderer that randy is a murderer and he continues on in 23 therefore if you are offering your gift and here he's given an example of how we need to be connecting with each other therefore if you're offering a gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you leave your gift there in front of the offer, altar and then go first and be reconciled to them then come and offer your gift he's pointing the extreme importance placed on relationship that when we allow broken relationships to just sit there and fester to murder these are so powerful that go and reconcile with the person attempt to do that Jesus in Matthew 18 continues on and gives examples of how one should try to do that and then people are maybe nodding their heads as they're hearing this and like okay I get it we need with our brother and sister we need to we need to be doing what we need to do to make sure that relationship is righted but then Jesus continues on and talks about not only your brother or sister but your adversary because in 25 he says settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court do it while you're still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison truly I tell you do not get out until you've paid the last penny so this this concept still under I think murder is looking at not only are we to be consider adversaries that we need to attempt to make things right even in that situation and within these I see I can't live this way this is too much for Randy to be able to handle and I recognize I'm a murderer because I have I have broken these and I realize I need something beyond me my heart needs more and my mind needs more to be able to be who Jesus is calling me to be and I understand the old way is to just don't kill somebody but now Jesus brings this to a whole new level a whole new level of of love that cannot be done by human 
means. And then he continues on to another big commandment, looking at adultery. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And as the crowd's listening, they may be thinking, okay, I'm not a murderer, but I guess I am. And now when they hear adultery, they're thinking, okay, I haven't done this, but if they're catching on, they're maybe recognizing that it may be different than what they thought. And Jesus confirms that. You shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. And I realize now not only is Randy a murderer, but Randy's an adulterer. That as I hear these words, I am touched to recognize these are powerful. And that it's so important, he's saying that if we find ourselves in these situations to take drastic measures to make sure things are better. And then recognizing their system of divorce, he brings that up as it's connected to adultery. And background on the information, when we think of divorce, and then we think of divorce during this time and times previously, this is something that was oppressed, very oppressive to women. And they were victims in a system. And even with the time of Moses, what was happening sometimes is that men would be tired of their spouse, and so they would move on and find someone new and, and just push the other one out the door. Well, this puts the wife is in a very victim sort of place that because of the law, that because she no longer being found a virgin was available then because of the law to be stoned to death. And to prevent that from happening, Moses said, write a certificate of divorce so this woman can show, I've, I've got a certificate. I have been divorced. This isn't my fault. Don't stone me. So as this custom continued, though the adultery continued, but the sheets of paper were given as a legitimification in their own minds that what they were doing, okay, that as primarily men in the system were moving on from their spouse and finding a new one, they were justifying it by saying, here, here's a certificate. And then in their own minds, they were being justified in creating the victims that there were. And then men were doing this over and over. So then Jesus said, it has been said, in certificate of divorce. For sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone in the system, just because there's pieces of paper involved, you're still committing adultery. And we today 
recognize that marriage is this incredible opportunity of connection between a man and a woman under God. And that's something to take very seriously. And that God, the, the way that we deal with marriage is marriage is something that we do under God. And as we live through the, the challenges and the struggles of that, that God calls us to a very high standard of relationship within that. And within this banner, though, now we understand that we are all murderers and we're all adulterers. And then Jesus is making it clear. You need me. You need me. That throughout the centuries, you've broken the strictness of the law but if you want my word written on your heart and in your mind, we have to recognize this. And as we recognize this fully, it drives us to one place, and that is the foot of the cross to Jesus. Because with him and only through him do we have redemption, do we have grace. Because we in our own abilities and our own standards and our own willpower will fail who God calls us to be. But Jesus has already shown them that he loves them. Even in the midst of this condition of sin, he has been healing, he has been loving, and he has been teaching. And he's saying, you murderers, you adulterers, you sinners, come to me. I love you. I love you right where you're at but I love you into something more. Come allow me to put myself. I am the law now. I'm the Torah. And I want to be written on your hearts and I want to be in your mind. And I'm, I'm loving you, but, but you've got to come to me. I'm available. But you just say the word and I will come in to your life. And so for us as we worship this morning, I, I'm inspired by those at Asbury and at other campuses now as people are striving to see a glimpse of God working. And I recognize that, that God is everywhere. And everywhere God is calling, come to me. Those who are weary, those who are tired of, of the failures that they're continually having, come to me, and I want to give you rest. I want to bring new life into your life. And so as we recognize the power and the majesty and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus, only he then can get rid of that sin and, and forgive that sin. And through that forgiveness have eternal life that, that starts now. The life of eternal life starts now and lasts for eternity. So this morning, where is your life at? Do you recognize you're a murderer? Do you recognize that you're an adulterer? Jesus calls us 
out of that. He calls us out of our selfishness. He calls us out of our self-loathing. Loathing. He wants us to accept his forgiveness and his grace. And then for us to forgive ourselves for what is behind us, what we're dealing with now. That this forgiveness is all-powerful. And as we put our love and our trust into him and we put our murderous, adulterous self at the foot of the cross, he says, I forgive you. I cleanse your hearts and your minds. What a wonderful place is that to live in this continual sense of joy, of forgiveness and grace that as we fully daily commit to him, and commit to this covenant that he has available to us. That he will forgive our sins and remember them no more. Where are you at? Have you been at a place where you've fully understood this gift that is available? That as we surrender ourselves and who we are to the power and the majesty of an incredible Jesus. That we enter into his love we enter into that, his presence and we worship his holy name. Have you done that? It's an incredible opportunity. Or do you know that feeling of just living within your own selfishness? Looking at me and, and what I need to do, what I need to accomplish, what's coming up, how people treat me poorly. God is calling us to a life that takes focus off of self and puts the focus on Him and the focus on and to take that focus off of self. It's a different way to live. It's a different way than the world teaches us to live. It's the world teaches about being successful and accomplishing big things. Here Jesus is teaching us the major thing we need to accomplish is to surrender in humility and in hope into his loving arms and his loving hand. We're going to sing, and as we do so, I want to think about where we're at with our own sense of selfishness and whether we've surrendered fully or not. And this is going to be a time of, of prayer. And I'll even... I'm going to ask Lisa if she could, my wonderful wife, if you want to come up and pray with Lisa, she'll, can you go over there and pray with people as they come up? If you have something that you would like to pray about, Lisa and I will both be up here and feel free to pray. Or you can just come to the altar and pray. You can sit in your pew and pray. Whatever God calls you to do, just be available to what God is calling you to do and who God is calling you to be. Not someone who is failing to always do the stuff that you think you're supposed to do, but someone who is surrendering your heart to Jesus so he can come in and clean out whatever darkness is there. We learn about our own failure. We, we learn that Yama murder, I'm an adulterer, I'm a cheat, but God, you, 
can come in and cleanse that. So God, as we acknowledge your love, may we fall into it this morning. In your precious name we pray. Amen.